Well, we get to continue in our passage this morning in Ephesians. We're going through the book of Ephesians right now. It's a wonderful letter, uh, a letter that would have circul- circulated the churches in Asia Minor. Um, so it's often written to Ephesians, but you'll notice there are, are a lot of maybe church specifics that are absent from this letter as there may be from other communication. If you were to expect uh, Paul to know the individuals of these uh, small church as well, but this would have been a circulatory letter uh, that would have gone from church to church to church, and maybe it, it arrived first at, at Ephesians, uh, or at Ephesus, I should say, and um, so that's maybe why some of those details are missing, but it does not lack um, for um, Bravo as the, the Apostle Paul writes to these uh, the, the church whom he's giving his life for. And so this is going to be a a, a wonderful series, we pray. Um, I am loving uh, diving into it personally. Um, One of the joys of having the privilege of preaching or teaching is that you get to spend hours and hours and hours in it uh, before we get to spend uh, uh, some time in it together this morning. So uh, personally, I'm loving it. I pray that, that God is continuing to weave it into my heart and my soul. And so I would invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, you probably have a phone, and so you can open a a Bible app and open that to Ephesians chapter 3. It's always good to see God's Word in its context, right? Words have relationship to other words. And so if you move one word from this paragraph to that paragraph, well, it might change the meaning of it altogether uh, because of the context. We talk about context quite a bit. And so, uh, yeah, so open your Bible so you can see right where we are and how all of these things relate to one another. Uh, We get to to really dive into a a really interesting passage this morning. It's largely a parenthesis. Uh, There are times... I'll start talking about something, and, you know, I've joked before, like, I feel like I'm the ADD poster child sometime, you know, I just will be talking about this, then all of a sudden I go over here to talk about this, or, or, or this particular topic makes me think about something else that I want to kind of talk about some more, and so I'll dive into that, and that's exactly what Paul does. So I find great comfort in that this morning. So this is exactly what Paul does. In fact, if you have your Bible up and you're looking at verse, chap- uh, verse 1 of chapter 3, And verse 14 of chapter 3, they begin the exact same. You know why? Because I think Paul is getting ready to say what he's about to in in verse 14, which we'll look at next week. But he gets so excited about wanting to encourage these saints that he dives into this big parenthesis that we've put, you know, verse numbers around. That's verses 2 through 13 together. And then he continues on. It's almost as if he says, uh, but I digress like a divine distraction or a divine digression, a divinely inspired uh, digression. But it is beautiful for us. And so open, uh, if you haven't already, I've said it a couple times, uh, let's look at this together and we'll read Ephesians 3, 1 through 13 together this morning. For this reason, so whenever we read the Bible, we see these these phrases, for this reason, or, or so that, or in order that, or so... You got to look back and see what's happened right before that, right? So he's building on everything that he said. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not, uh, which was not made known to, uh, to the sons of men in other generations 
as it has now been revealed to his holy to his holy apostles and prophets by the spirit this mystery is that the gentiles are fellow heirs members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel of this gospel i was made a minister according to the gift of god's grace which was given me by the working of his power to me though i am the very least of all the saints this grace was given to preach to the gentiles the unsearchable riches of christ to bring to light everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in god who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of god might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places this was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith to him, in him. And so I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Father, give us help this morning as we seek you in your word. Amen. Paul begins and ends this phrase with, with, uh, or this, this uh, section of his letter with two phrases that communicate his great care for them and knowing that they are distressed for him. He speaks about being a prisoner and he ends by saying, I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is for your glory, because he knows He knows that they are becoming or might be tempted to become distressed over what Paul is suffering. Paul's writing from prison. Now, that's important for us to catch because it's real easy to say, hey, have a great day when everything's working well for you. It's much harder when you are confined, when your meals are brought to you at a certain time, when you're thirsty and it might not matter because you have to wait for your water to be brought to you. No, it's very different to say, be encouraged. Don't lose heart when you yourselves are in a worse off situation than the ones you're saying it to are. And so he wants them to be encouraged. In fact, what he wants them not to do is lose sight of the grander purpose of what God is doing in the world through Paul and through these Gentile believers in Ephesus. And what we're seeing in this passage is that through God's grace, God has arranged every detail of your life to help you know him more personally as you see him more wonderfully through his working in the church, in order to help you proclaim his glorious salvation more fully. Let me read that again so we can connect with that together. Through God's grace, he has arranged every detail of your life to help you know him more personally as you see him more wonderfully through his working in the church in order to help you proclaim his glorious salvation more fully. This is what Paul is saying. Every every aspect of my life is the Lord's. Every detail of your life intended by God. That means 
your struggle. It means your sickness. It means your, uh, how well your employment is going or how poorly you think it might be going. It means relationships, uh, your finances, where you live, your neighbors, your family, every detail of your life, not one of them is purposeless. And when we find ourselves getting discouraged, I'll just tell you, recently, I found myself getting discouraged over some things. Uh, And I was getting discouraged because I was focusing on the details. I was focusing on some things that I wanted for me. You know, some some ease in life. Um, and, And in the grand scheme of things, they're quite minor. But what happened was I allowed myself to zone in on the areas where I was unhappy with God's choices for my life. So then what happened is those issues became much grander in my perspective. They captivated my mind and my heart more than they should have. And what Paul is saying is that he knows God so well through his personal experience with him. Now think about that. God wants it wants every detail of your life to help you know him more personally. Now just think through that. That means when things are going really well, it's so that you would see God's hand reigning in your life and that you would praise him for those areas that are going well so that you can use those areas to bring God glory. That means when things are not going well, it helps you to know God more personally because you learn how to trust in him. You learn how to rely on him. You learn how to depend on him in ways that, let's just be honest, we'd never draw it up for ourselves like that, right? I mean, if we're writing our own choose your own adventure book, right? None of them have like four sets, four options of really terrible circumstances because we don't want that for ourselves. At the end of the day, God does at times because he realizes that when left to ourselves, we'll depend on ourselves and we'll find our happiness in the circumstances around us rather than in relying on him in resting in him. And so this is Paul's personal testimony, right? Think about how Paul relates to the Lord before he knew the Lord. Listen to Paul's testimony, and then we'll look at, at, at uh, what he says in Acts. But he says, I thank God. This is 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 15. I thank God who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, insolent, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of the Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And this is a trustworthy saying and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. This colors everything in Paul's life from here on out, or really from Acts 9 when Paul, when the Lord met Paul on the road to Damascus. And blinded him, literally revealed himself to him and blinded him. Paul says, as one who's unworthy in verses 7 and 8 of this chapter 3, he says, there is no, I, I, I'm no mere prisoner of the Lord. What does he say? I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He is not merely speaking about being a bondservant, one who says, I'm willing 
to surrender all of my life as a servant for the Lord. Does he mean that? Yes, absolutely. But he is writing this as a prisoner, a real prisoner, but he's God's prisoner. He says, Jesus has me here. And what do we get from Paul's prison ministry? Well, about half the New Testament or a large part of the New Testament. So Paul says, I'm going to take hold of the opportunity that God has given me here, and I'm going to encourage the church. I'm not just going to fret about what I'm missing, because God has me here for this purpose. You say, well, why am I wrestling with this struggle in my life? Well, I don't have the simple answer for you, but I know that God has the answer for you. And in large part, the answer is so that you can display the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ to you. You say, well, I'm discouraged. But you know what? I don't live for this life. Matthew tells us, or Jesus tells us in Matthew, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things. Well, they'll be added to you. So Paul is a prisoner of Christ. And he's a prisoner, he's God's prisoner on behalf of those whom he'll minister to. Brother, sister, when when you are enduring a trial, Paul wants you to take that trial and see it through the lens of God's working in your life for his glory. When you're discouraged, Paul wants us to Fix our eyes on things that are unseen because things that are seen, they're just temporary, but things that are unseen are eternal. The purposes for your struggle, the purposes for your trial are eternal. They're not merely temporary. They're not merely to help you get through this life. Listen to how he, he expects and anticipates his own imprisonment in Acts 20. 22 through 24, he says, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm constrained by the spirit. Everybody around him is saying, no, don't go. They're going to throw you in jail. And he's like, oh, I've waited, I've waited. This is a very loose paraphrase, by the way, Pastor Matt's loose paraphrase. I've waited, I've waited. I'm constrained by the spirit. I must go. Not knowing what will happen to me there. Well, expect, except that the Holy Spirit testifies that in every city, imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I don't count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, only that I may finish the course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I don't count my job of, as any value other than my job would lead me to be able to testify to the goodness of God. I don't count my relationships of, 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 as any value for me here and now, so long as they serve to allow me to testify to the goodness of the grace of God. Acts 21, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and he bound his own feet and he said, in his hands and he said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind a man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When, he, when we heard this, we and the people there urged him, meaning Paul, not to go up to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. 
For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Jesus made it clear when God called Paul to bring the gospel to the Gentiles in plain view of believing and unbelieving Jews. That this was a stewardship of grace. This is a a stewardship of grace. Think about household management. The word oikos is is part of this word that means stewardship or administration. It's the idea that we've been giving something to to administer, to, to handle well as those who aren't the possessors of it. We're not the owners of it. We've been given a stewardship. We've been given a a, a privilege. We've been given the greatest message the world has ever known that we might communicate to people that everyone on this planet is lost without a savior and in desperate need of help. But there is a savior and his name is Jesus. Paul says, this is my stewardship and it's a gift of God's grace. In Acts 9.25, the Lord told Ananias that Paul was a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel, for I will show him, meaning Paul, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Now, I want you to see the context for all of this. Okay, we said at the beginning that God wants us to, to know him more personally and recognize that every aspect of our life is intended for that purpose. But notice the context for it. Through the ministry that God is unfolding through the church, right? So we know him more personally as we see him more wonderfully through his working in the church. This is never just about you and your life. This is never just about me and my life as as individual components of something that we will one day see. God lets us see it in the here and now. Right now, he lets us understand how God has been working in Oak Grove Church for 150 years, how God has been working in other churches in this area, how God has been brought the, brought the gospel of Jesus Christ to this place we call the United States of America, how God is working around the world even now. And God says, the, the church, my called out people set aside for me, the Lord's people, through this body, through this group, I am going to work marvelously. I am going to do things that will blow your mind. So brother and sister, what you're going through is for the church. What you're enduring right now, it's for the church. It's for those whose salvation has not yet been revealed. Paul's ministry, it's primarily to the Gentile, but as I said, it's in full view of both believing and unbelieving Jews. He's arrested, he's imprisoned in Jerusalem, and, and there are Jews who plot against him. They're lying, they're making schemes up against him. They say, they say partial truths, things that are partially true, meaning that, well, he preaches against our religion, which he does. Preaches that salvation comes by grace through faith alone. Not according to fulfilling the law. And then they they hurl other accusations at him that are false. And then Paul just calls them on their blatant hypocrisy. It's like, you who judge the law or breaking the law as you try to condemn me? Come on. We can all see right through that. 
I'm going to use the word church here in its broadest sense, kind of bringing together these two terms, the Greek term ekklesia and kyriakos. If you think of the word church, we kind of get that word church from kyriakos, which just means the Lord's. But ekklesia means gathered ones or those who are, ek, who are called out, set apart, gathered for the Lord. Right? That, that's the church. Those who, the Lord's people who are called out from the world and are gathering together in his name. That's what the church is. And God's purpose for the church was revealed early, but it was always veiled. That's why Paul speaks about this mystery all the way back in Genesis 12, 3, when God calls Abraham, or I'm sorry, Genesis, yeah, Genesis 12, 2 and 3. He says to Abram, he says, I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. So now we've gone from being simply a great nation to all of the families of the earth will be blessed through what God does here. And as God unfolds this story, even throughout Genesis, we see God bringing events to pass that will bless other nations, other peoples, as a result of what God is doing. He confirms this in the prophets, Isaiah 49, 6. He says, is it too little a thing or too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. And then speaking again as, as foreigners Uh, or as nations, as foreigners being enfolded into God's people, Isaiah says, and the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord. Remember, God is telling his people all along, he's saying, I want you to be holy. Why? Because I want the world to see that it's in relationship with me, it's in faith with me, and in covenant with me, that I will bless you. And these other people will see that you're blessed. So I don't want you to go out there and intermarry. Why? Well, because if you intermarry, I know what happens when guy meets girl or girl meets guy and all of a sudden, well, they've got some pretty good ideas for how this happens, how this life is to work. Let's just, let's just bring in their religious worship and combine it with our religious worship. We call that syncretism. And God says, no, I don't want that because it's not good for you. It's going to mess you up. The rest of the old Testament unfolds with this terrible story. And so he says, and the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servant, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and doesn't profane it, who holds fast my covenant to these, I will, I will bring these to my holy mountain. I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. And so now in, in, in Ephesians and, and we see it in Galatians, Paul begins to connect these dots for people uh, of God's progressive uh, revelation for salvation, which we see that in verses five and six here, that Gentiles are fellow heirs. They are members of the same body. They're partakers in the same uh, in the in the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. Listen to Galatians three, seven through nine. He says, know then that it is those of faith who are sons of of Abraham. You say, well, my mom and dad have gone to church. I've gone to church my whole life. Well, being a son or a daughter of one who believes 
doesn't mean that you believe. No one will be saved on the faith of your mother, of your father, of your grandfather. You might be because they never stop praying. You might be because they use the, the circumstances of their life to help you see the glorious grace of God in the face of Jesus. And the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And Paul's ministry, Paul's privilege is to carry this wonderful gospel message to the peoples of the world. Paul's message is to say there are no geographical borders through which God blesses. God blesses his people. And as God blesses his people and his people follow in faithfulness, God's kingdom grows. God's kingdom expands. So don't look for churches or borders or names or alliances unless it's we all stand under the banner of Jesus Christ. And so what we see is that verse 10 tells us that through the church, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. God gives wisdom here. That, that, that God's eternal purpose, God's eternal plan might be made known. Think back to 117 when, when Paul prayed that they, uh, that, that, that they would have a spirit of wisdom. He says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the work, working of his great might, which is demonstrated in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, dead for three days, raised to new life, and seated with him in the heavenly places. God gives wisdom. And so what we're seeing here is that God has used every detail, your family that's together and functioning well, or your family that you've grown up with that's totally dysfunctional. I promise you there's somebody out there that's more dysfunctional somewhere. But don't set your hope in that. Set your hope in the fact that what God is doing is God is shifting your perspective. Because God knows the people he's calling you to minister to. And the very circumstances you are going through, God is intending to use you to know him more personally, personally as you see him working more wonderfully in the church, the context through which all of this ministry takes place. And so as you seek your end, for what you're experiencing, seek it in Christ. Lord, how can you take what I'm dealing with right now and use it to allow me, whether it's now or whether it's in 10 years, to allow me to testify to the reality that you saved me and I didn't deserve saving, to the reality that you helped me endure, even though I, I know I couldn't do it on my own, but you put people around me who knew the word and who spoke the word to me and you, you put your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. He has set you up to know him more personally and to engage with him 
more wonderfully through his working in the church. And you want to give it all for the cause of Christ. And all of this is intended to help you proclaim him more fully. Now, just think about that, to proclaim his salvation more fully. Brian Edwards has been talking about this gospel class, Sunday school class that we're going to start next week. Brothers and sisters, what we want you to know more than anything is that the gospel is not just a prayer that's prayed so that you can become saved and get dunked and then go live your life however you want to live your life. God's gospel, the good news is that God is saving sinners. He's helping sinners learn how to endure. He's sustaining them. He's preserving them in the faith. And he will carry them to glory. How do we know this? Paul has already told us because of the promise, the sealed Holy Spirit that we have as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. So Paul says, I was made a minister. I didn't pick a vocation. In fact, the one I picked was to kill ministers. The ones I picked, the vocation I picked was to kill those who were following Christ. I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. How? Look at what he says. He says, it was given to me. God worked it. Verse 7, he says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me. How do you know it was given to him? Because God worked it in him. Friend, you didn't come up with this salvation idea on your own. You didn't believe on your own. People prayed for you. Somebody shared for you. At some point, God opened the eyes of your heart so that you would see and believe and cherish the gospel. This is the grace which was given me by the working of his power. God has given it to Paul. And if you're in Christ, God has given it to you. God worked it by the working of his power in Paul, and God worked it by the working of his power in you. God has given it to Paul, and he has given you and me the privilege of carrying out this ministry in two broad categories that we'll hit real quickly. One is uh, the the idea of evangelism, you and galitzomai, which is the Greek word from which we get the word evangelize, but it's far more than we think of just going out and evangelizing or handing out a tract. It's the act of or living a lifestyle that says, I I, want to tell you about the Lord and how the Lord's at work in my life. I want to tell you what he did to save me. And I I hear people say, well, I don't want to preach. I don't want to be all preachy. And I say, why not? I can't stop talking about it. And it's not because I'm great. It's because God is great. And I understand the sentiment that says, I don't want to just preach at people, right? Nobody likes that guy or that girl that's just like, okay, fine. I'll give you that. But I'm telling you, that is just like this much right here. There's this entire other world of loving people through your words and your life. And I know the sentiment that we're to, I can't even think of the phrase right now, but preach the gospel and when necessary use words or something like that, right? Again, I get the sentiment, but that's the most ungodly, unbiblical idea. But I get the sentiment. Let your life be lived out in such a way so that it's consistent with the gospel so that when you speak, it aligns. They affirm each other in the message. 
Because it's, it's awful to have somebody just preach about the goodness of God and live a life that doesn't, that doesn't align with loving God in any way. All your priorities, your time commitments, your, the way you spend your money, the things you put into your body, all these kinds of things, they don't align with what it means to live a life sold out for the Lord. But we have to use words because God has given us what's necessary without words in creation. That every person on earth knows that God is eternal and divine. That there is one God. But we need words. We need specific, special revelation in the Bible to say that that God has given himself in the person of Jesus. And the reason you feel bad, the reason is because you're suppressing the truth with your unrighteousness. You're refusing to acknowledge that you need a sinner. See, we need words for that. And what happens is God takes you through the trial. He takes you through the valley. He takes you through those things that are painful, those things that that you would wish to never go through again, except that you would see someone come to know Christ through them. God says, I'll give you the words as you live your life sold out for me in the midst of everything difficult that you endure. And so Paul is given the privilege of preaching. What's he preaching? Oh, I wish I... He's not preaching. You're a sinner, God's holy, and he can't love you unless you come to Jesus and pray this prayer. What a... The words, okay, but the tone of voice and the life that matches it. Hmm. I get to preach the unsearchable, the incontainable, the indescribable, and yet we're able to describe it as we'll see next week, the, 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 the riches of Christ. Not just, not just vast information, but the riches, the glory, the beauty of knowing Jesus. Of, of walking with Jesus and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. That God is unifying a people from all over the world, all people, nations, tongues, tribes, that God is unifying a people in Christ. And God is bringing that to light through Paul and through the children of faith that that Paul is able to minister to. And, and Paul recognizes that you will, you will be able to proclaim his salvation more fully when you're confident in your relationship with Jesus. And so he bolsters their confidence, right? That's the prayer that he wants to pray in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to his riches of glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend the incomprehensible. What is the... uh, With all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth? And to know the love of God, not just here, but here to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. We're supposed to know the things that are beyond our ability to know these things. And so he says, in order for that to happen, in order for me to pray this prayer, you need to see God's sovereign working over all of creation. And you need to see it from a guy 
who's preaching the gospel with his life, and he's using the words of God. And so from prison, he says, so I ask you, don't lose heart over what I'm suffering for you. Why? Well, it's your glory. It's your glory? Friend, what you're going through today is for the future glory of another's faith. And when another person comes to faith through the simple and yet profound message of Jesus Christ, it is their glory. Because for all eternity, they will reign with him. Paul puts it this way in First Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 1. He says, if we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. Now, think about your situation in life and think about it in this light. If we're afflicted, it's for your comfort for your salvation. Who do you know? Which you experience when we patiently endure the same things we suffer. You see, God's working this out through the church. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, meaning in Christ, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so, listen to this phrase, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had the sentence of death. That was to make us not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. So you remember Abram? He takes his son, and he has his arm up with the knife, and an angel stops him. And the New Testament tells us that he believed that God would raise him from the dead. God, you're, caring, you're calling me to do this thing, to live this way, which seems like the sentence of death, but oh yes, that's right, you raise the dead. And if I die, I'm with the Lord. He delivered us from such deadly peril and he will deliver us. And on him we have set our hope that he will again deliver us. And then he says, you must also help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Brother, sister, friend, how can you use your words combined with your life to speak about the wonders of God's grace in the church, through the church, to the church, but also to the future church? God has given you a circle of influence, a, a, a manner of speaking with those that nobody else will listen to. They won't listen to my preaching, so you preach. Don't say, oh, I don't want to preach at them. Why not? You hold in your life the most glorious gospel ever known to mankind. So preach it. Let it ring. Proclaim it from the highest places or the lowest valleys that God is alive. That he saves sinners who come to him. And that he brings joy in what seems joyless. That he gives purpose in what seems purposeless. 
Oh, there'll be a lot of people who won't understand, who won't get it, who will write you off. But don't be discouraged. Pray for one another. Help one another by prayer. You must. We must. You know, we come to this time every week. We have the privilege of, of remembering the Lord's sacrificial death burial and resurrection as he gave his life on Calvary, the perfect spotless lamb who gave his life, the only, the only sacrifice that would be worthy. But let me ask you a, a, an earthly question about that. How is your life being poured out for the sake of another? I mean, don't, don't, don't get me wrong. We're never going to gather around a fire and, 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 and eat a piece of bread or, or drink cup in your memory, right? I mean, so get, don't get the wrong idea here. But Paul says that you and I have the privilege of filling up what is lacking in the sacrifice of Christ, which is the physical, earthly, real-time presentation of joy in the midst of suffering, in-person, incarnational ministry. So as we eat this bread this morning and drink this cup, remember this is a, this is a meal for, for saints, those who've been made saints. And consider how your life might represent God's eternal life given for us that we might minister to others. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we worship you because, uh, because you are the only one that is worthy of our praise. As we talk about the glorious riches of Christ, we're not talking about the glorious riches of, of Oak Grove Church or, or of any other church. But you use the church, you use the imperfect to bring them out, to bring about eternal ministry. And you've ordained every circumstance of our life to help us know you more personally. May we not make it a mere checklist item. May we not make it a, a, a mere weekly or an activity, a place that we go. But may it be all of life. May you be all of life. And may we see you working in the context of the church so that we would know you more fully and see you more wonderfully as we see you working. May we rejoice with those who rejoice. May we grieve with those who grieve. May we celebrate with those who celebrate, Lord. And may we each and every time do so with raised hands and raised eyes that look heavenward and say, Lord, thank you for working now. I'll take what you've given us now what you've given me now, and I'll use it to proclaim your name more fully, more faithfully. And even knowing that that is not going to be by my own strength, my own ordering of circumstances, but it's going to be by your wisdom. We'll give you all the praise. We'll give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray.